Welcome back to the Standard Times podcast, and thanks for following along on Facebook Live. I'm Standard Times digital editor Brennan Curie, and joining me again is Kurt Brown. He's been a reporter who's been at the Michelle Carter trial for the last couple of weeks, and uh, today, uh, not, not much, ha- nothing really happened today, nothing which is all. Wednesday. Uh, nothing at all. The, uh, so we have a we have a free day. We have a, a planning day. The, the judge has indicated that. Uh, his decision, uh, he was not going to immediately reach his decision, and, and he's proved that. Um, but one of the points I wanted to make is that this is going to be a, a verdict that's based on the law. Um, the judge said in his final comments on Tuesday, I will apply the laws to the facts where appropriate. That's the key difference between a jury trial and a jury waived trial that much of the emotion is removed. Mm -hmm. The judge is not going to be swayed by the abundance of text messages in this case. Um, If you look on social media, including our social media sites and and others, you will see that most of the comments are in response to Michelle Carter's truly bizarre, damaging text messages, Mm -hmm. which make no sense at all. But in a jury waive trial, the, the, a judge w- will look for those texts. He, w- he will not eliminate all of them. He will look for those texts that have evidentiary value and apply the law accordingly. So there's probably be a little bit less emotion tied in to the decision than there would be with a jury, and a little more legal expertise from a judge as opposed to having you know, everyday people deciding this. Exactly. When, <clears throat> when we reporters, when several of us reporters were in the jury overflow room where we could discuss freely the case, both sides in their closing arguments were making appeals that we felt were clearly being aimed as if they were the jury presence. Those are basically going to fall on deaf ears. It's really going to come down to the evidence. The evidence and the law. And the law. So now, uh, an interesting thing, just looking back on the trial, is, is the things that we still don't know. I and mean, we know, uh, 10 years ago, this trial, who knows if it would even have existed. That's absolutely Because you wouldn't have had text messages, That's Facebook correct. messages. You wouldn't have had all the electronic forensics yeah. that you have now. You would have just had not much as far as evidence. So, But it's interesting, there's still a lot that we don't know, even with everything that we have, even with all the with communications between the two. You're, you're absolutely right, Brendan. Uh, Last night after we did our, our podcast, you said to me that in the time of one year, there was so much more that we know about the case. But, and I think I said to you that, but yet there is also so much more that we don't know. Uh, and what we don't know what was what was, and I'm trying to be as sensitive as possible here, is what was going on in Conrad Roy's uh, mind when he got out of that truck. The prosecution had said that he was hesitating and scared. They referred to text messages that he said, uh, where he said that he loved his family, and that was clearly evidence. I spoke to his family yesterday, and and they loved him, and it, it was very clear to them that he loved them. But the defense, on the other hand, it said that he was determined to take his life. He had cried previously. So what is true? is that when Conrad was out of that truck, he was out of harm's way. He was out of the cab, and he he was breathing fresh, clean air. 
but we don't know what he was thinking. We do know that he had written suicide notes that were found later on. Um, and we know that she texted him to get back in the car, but we don't know how much that actually influenced him. Was that the reason he actually got back in the car? Was it just one of a million different reasons he got back in? Did it not factor into his decision at all? I mean, we'll never know. No, you're absolutely right. We'll never know. But she tells him, and this is undeniable, to get back in the truck. That is without question that she said that. And that is, that those few words by her is the lynch, linchpin of this case. Uh, Judge Bettina Borders in New Bedford, New Bedford Juvenile Court said so in her ruling, and the State Supreme Judicial Court, all seven members, not one, not a single justice, but an entire a review by the entire court also held the same point of view. Now, it's interesting with these texts we're talking about, as the trial's gone on, you've kind of seen the defense and the prosecution kind of cherry-picking the texts that represent their sides of the case a little bit as we go through. Sure, but there was just one more thing I wanted to touch on. Is it, I don't know if we'll ever know what was in uh, Conrad's mind and why he got out of the truck. He's, um, sadly, he's passed away and and she wasn't there. And if if she knows, she isn't required to say anything. But getting back to your last question, uh, it's clear that both the, both the prosecution and the defense have cherry-picked uh, <coughs> texts that support their view of the case. And, and in preparing for, for this podcast, I reviewed one of the earliest stories that Mike Lawrence, former uh, ST reporter Mike Lawrence and I wrote about it, where the defense accused the... Um, prosecution of cherry-picking certain texts. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's true of both sides. So you have some cherry-picking and some hypocrisy going on. (laughs) Sounds almost like politics here. You're right. Uh, Dr. Bregan, when he was on the stand the other day, he mentioned how many of the, on the cross-examination, he mentioned how many of the texts could be interpreted interpreted in in different ways. All right, so now uh, at this point, we're kind of waiting on uh, a verdict. Uh, the earliest it could be at this point would be Friday because the judge has said correct. we'll we give 24 hours notice. So if he gave correct. notice tomorrow, which would be Thursday, the earliest the verdict would be Friday. Now it's going to be interesting because there's no lesser charges. That is correct, yeah. I confirmed that with the DA's office uh, today that it is either um, uh, involuntary, <coughs> involuntary manslaughter or not guilty. The other thing that's that's very interesting, and it, it has been reported before, but it should be restated now, is that Massachusetts doesn't have an assisted uh, suicide statute, and she is being tried under the homicide statute, and she faces a maximum of 20 years, not in the House of Correction, because the maximum for a House of Correction is two and a half years. She faces maximum 20 years in state prison. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, if there was an assisted suicide statute in this state, that probably would possibly be a good option for this case. That's absolutely correct. But um, we'll find out soon enough. All right. Well, thanks for joining us to our uh, listeners and our viewers on Facebook Live. Thanks for joining me again, Kurt. uh, Thanks, Brendan. As soon as we uh, get notice that the judge is ready, we'll probably be back with another podcast. And uh, thank you, viewers, uh, very much for uh, tuning in.